0: when the transfiguration was on a different date, and then we changed it. And in true Anglican fashion, we not only moved it to the new date, but we also left it at the old date, just in case you wanted to do one way or the other. So rather than make a decision, we just created a new option. But I like the new date, which is today, the last Sunday before Lent. I like the new date because it follows the gospel story. That in the gospel, you have the transfiguration story as kind of a middle point between the ministry of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, and then the road to Jerusalem, the story of the cross and the crucifixion and resurrection. And so you have this high point right in the middle, literally and figuratively, of the transfiguration on the mountain and the revelation of a, yet another revelation or a hint as to who Jesus really was, and then into the road to the cross. And so, in the lectionary process, we have symbolically finished the period of time where we're following the ministry of Jesus. We talked a lot about the call of the disciples and so on, and now we've come to the last season of Epiphany, and we are doing the transfiguration. So you have this story of the disciples going up the mountain with Jesus, and Jesus being transfigured. And uh, I, in, in our Bible study, we, uh, somebody mentioned, might have been Stuart, that uh, the Orthodox have no, it wasn't Stuart, it was you, Frank. Uh, was the, the Orthodox have a different view of the transfiguration, so I did a little work on it, and I like it. I like the Orthodox view of the transfiguration, because the Orthodox say that it wasn't Jesus that was transfigured, it was the perception of the disciples that was transfigured. Because Jesus is always like that right? He's always talking to Moses and Elijah. He's always full of glory, right? It's just the change that happened to the disciples so that for that moment they saw it. They saw him as he really was. And then the moment went away. And that I can relate to because I've had moments of transfiguration, moments where my eyes were opened and I go, wow, there's something really going on here. God is here. There's a a moment. This is a great moment. And like Peter, the moment is awesome and overwhelming. And I go, let's stay here. This is great. We'll put up tents. And of course, missing the point, all that kind of stuff. But the the notion that it is me, the disciple, who changes and not God or Jesus who changes resonates with me. And the fact that this is just before Lent also adds a, a little extra depth to that that uh, resonance because um, my spiritual journey had a, has a sort of pattern to it, which I could describe, I could map it. And certainly when I first came to faith, and I was born in the faith, so I was always active and Christian, but there was a moment in my teen years when it, it hit me in the heart. I had a moment like a a Wesleyan moment where my heart was strangely warmed and there was a period of time that was like a honeymoon in a romance where I was walking and talking with God all the time and it was close and it was intimate and it was amazing and it was wonderful and like in a romance, eventually the magic fades. It doesn't go away, but it's not the same as it was in those magic early days. And there have been times in my Christian journey because, of course, as a serious Christian, when you get into it and you start reading, and you start taking it seriously, you hear a lot about crucifixion and about transformation and about giving up your old self, so the new self, and it's a lot of hard work and it's a lot of stuff that you don't want to do and it's a entering into pain and all this kind of stuff. And there are times in my spiritual journey where all I have is the memory of those transfiguration moments to keep me going. Because there's a big part of me in whatever it is that I'm going through. Whether it's just a sense of spiritual flatness or active suffering. Is this all there is? Is this, is this it? And I know in my own spiritual journey, when I think back on those moments of transfiguration in my experience, I go, no, I don't really think this is all there is. I really trust that that sense in my heart that connected with something bigger. And it wasn't just once, it was a number of times. And it'll probably come back after this particular period. Um, and, but I just can't feel it right now. But that doesn't mean that God's not there. Just because I can't feel it, doesn't mean God's not there. Which brings me to Paul. The, uh, I, 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 after having looked at the lectionary readings, I really like how they interconnect. Because Paul talks about this veil being over people's eyes. Now Paul has a Paul is talking about the insiders and the outsiders, the Christians versus the non-Christians, and I don't have that kind of black and white view as to how the veil works. I think Christians are pretty veiled a lot of the time, and I do think that there are moments that non-Christians have the veil pierced, so I don't think it's that simple that you have the insiders and the outsiders, but I do think that Paul's notion of the veil is a powerful one, um, and where Paul talks about the veil is the God of this world that blinds you to... The gospel, right? And that phrase, again, resonates with my experience. The God of this world, this world becomes God, and it's easy to become God. Our preoccupations, I I think of, you know, how we spend most of our life in the rat race or pursuing goals of whatever those goals are. Often they're instinctive, just getting ahead, being successful, whatever that looks like, being secure, being comfortable, just getting the next raise, promotion, or you know, with your family, raising kids, there's just the next thing and the next thing and the next thing, and just getting through the day becomes all that you can set as a goal. Um, and, and of course, the more preoccupied with the God of this world, whatever that is, the less you're able to see the presence of God, the glory of God, shining through every moment of that experience so that your work becomes a grind or just a, 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 a process that you have to get through in order to achieve whatever that next thing is that's still ahead of you, whether it's something you want to buy or a promotion you want to achieve or a recognition that you want to get. Oh, or just retirement. you got to get retirement. You have to have your, your investments at this amount, so you got to get to that amount and so forth. So the, the more focused you are on that, the more you miss... The actual process of being at work and the opportunity to do meaningful things with your working life. The presence of God in the everyday, in your working life. As a parent, there's just the grind of getting the kids to school, back from school, driving them everywhere to all their extracurricular activities, getting them, making sure they get their good marks, graduate, go to university, have money for university, get set up in the new place, come back home, go back again, and finally get out of the house. (laughs) Right? Oh, you, and then you look back and, and if, if that's all it was, was to get your kids employed and, you know, you look back and you missed the presence of God through the whole process of growing up together. Um, so the veil, the God of this world, the, 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 the focus on the, the wrong things is, is obstructing our ability to be transfigured and see Christ for who Christ really is. So the veil, the, the, the piercing of the veil becomes part of the Christian journey. Hence Lent. Hence Lenten disciplines. The, the giving stuff up. Taking something on. It's about piercing that veil. About giving up our attachment to the God of this world so that we can see Christ for who Christ really is and where Christ really is. Because Christ is always here. Always within us. Always among us. Always in the person in front of us. But the problem is we're veiled we can't see it we need to be transfigured in order to see it the other neat connection in the lectionary readings today uh, is that in the Elijah Elisha story you get to the end of the story and uh, Elijah asks Elisha all right last request I'm about to go Elisha says I need a little help if I'm going to take over your job I can't do it on my own I need extra power whatever you've got give me double because I'm going to need it Can't do it without it. And Elijah says, you've asked a hard thing. But I'll tell you what. If you see me when I'm taken up into heaven, then you'll get it. But if you can't see me, then you won't. And that notion of the veil preventing us from seeing God or what God is doing or where God is. um, And the notion of the Christian life being a process of transformation. The neat connection is that Uh, as Christians, we we try to see where Jesus is and then we try to become transformed into the likeness of Jesus, to become transfigured ourselves. That's standard Christian spiritual conversation. So we we need to see who Jesus is so we we can become like Jesus in some way. And the the little Elijah-Elisha connection that I quite like is that unless you can see it, you can't become it. You can't receive the share of the Spirit. And that becomes one of the challenges in the Christian life because it is all too easy to turn Jesus into our image based in our own baggage and needs and culture and all the things that are the God of this world. So we 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 see Jesus through the filter of our own veil. And so we think Jesus is. Let's fill in the blanks of those veils. Jesus was a conservative, Jesus was a liberal. Jesus was a businessman. I can't make this crap up. There's a book that says Jesus was a businessman, and it was based on the King James Bible, where it says, Know ye not that I go by my father's business? And the business was in italics, which means emphasis, except if you're a biblical scholar, you know the, the italics means this is not a great translation of the Greek word underneath here. But an entire book took the italics as emphasis. We'd said, Oh, Jesus is a businessman right so but we we twist Jesus into what we want Jesus to be as opposed to seeing Jesus for who he really is and so we need to tear away the veil the better able we are to, to pierce the veil the better chance we have of becoming like that because if we're chasing our own filter of Jesus then we're just becoming more of what we already are we're becoming more of our filter So the first task is to pierce the filter. Try to see Jesus for who Jesus really is. Try to see Jesus where Jesus really is. Try to get rid of our attachments to the God of this world so that out of the corner of our eye, we can have those transfigured moments and get the sense of where holiness is, where goodness is, where truth is, and where beauty is. Because until we do that, or... It's more of a gray area or a process. As much as we are able to do that, that is as much as we are able to become like it. So the more we are able to see it, the better we are able to be it. There's some really interesting um, material about the process of church, um, which is based on three words um, gathering, transforming, and sending. That's what church is. We gather. We're transformed and we're sent. And it becomes a circle. Because when you're sent, you're sent to gather. Without people being sent to us, we were not gathered. And so then we're gathered, we're transformed, and we're sent. And that, that process becomes the cycle of what a healthy church looks like. If there's no gathering, nothing happens. If there's no transformation, nothing goes anywhere. If there's no sending, the process doesn't continue. And the ministry doesn't happen. This is about transformation. And the point that I'm just banging on about today, so I'll conclude here, is unless we can see it, we can't become it. So if we're going to engage in Lent, the first thing is to learn how to see it, which involves being quiet, letting go, and just letting God be God, and seeing what happens. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen.